everybody. How you doing? And welcome to the John Riley Project. You know, it's political season and we've been really busy. I mean, oh my gosh, so many different interviews. We, you know, Pete Neal and I had like a three hour podcast talking about the local Poway elections and the California propositions. So we're just really enjoying the political season. And today we're going to talk about Poway Unified School Board. And I think this is going to be really exciting, really fun. And I'm just so pleased to have as my guest, Frida Brunzel. So Frida, how are you? Hi, I'm fine. Thanks. Nice. Nice to finally have you here in the studio. Yeah, yeah no, it's uh, thanks for inviting me. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to have fun. We're just going to chat. You know, we, we I know we met a few weeks ago yeah. over at the Starbucks at the corner of what is it? Pomerado and Rancho Bernardo Road right yeah. over there by the yeah. by the uh, is it a Stater Al- brother? I think it's Albertsons. Albertsons. Yeah. yeah. So we got to know each other there, and I was just really fascinated with your candidacy. Um, I, I I was really impressed by a lot of your knowledge of educational issues, which was, you know, a lot of school board candidates don't know a lot of educational Thanks. issues. So that was great. So we're going to get into a lot of that. So, uh, But I just want to let the audience know that, you know, this is a live stream. This is a community forum. So you're all welcome to participate. All you need to do is if you're watching the live stream on either Facebook or on YouTube, if you have a question for Frida, maybe you have some comments about our school district, you know, feel free to type those in. We'll see them here. We'll share your comments and questions on the screen and, and we'll kind of make this sort of fun and interactive. So that's pretty good, right? Yeah. Yeah. Get the community involved and, and they may have some fun questions for you. So, um, you're running for school board in area B, yeah. So tell, where is that, where is Area B? So Area B is uh, most of Rancho Bernardo east of the 15, and then it's northern Poway, um, basically north of Twin Peaks with a few additional streets. Okay. So the, the great thing is, is that I live in the Area B. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So this is the fun part for me in interviewing candidates is I get to interview people I potentially vote for. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and, and your race is just really interesting. And we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, how you're different than a lot of the other candidates and everything. But before we get into a lot of the educational, just tell me a little bit more about you and your background and where you grew up and, and, you know, everything that led up to your candidacy as uh, here for school board. Yeah. So um, people always ask, so what's, where are you from? Or what's your accent? So I grew up in Sweden, in, in Uppsala, which is a university town just north of Stockholm, a very old university. And my um, mom was a teacher and my dad uh, taught law school for most of my childhood. And then he became an attorney in Stockholm. Mm-hmm. And he's actually still practicing at the age of 82. <laughs> he's still, oh, that's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He still um, um, even had a big case in front of the Supreme Court uh, just a few years ago. Really? Yeah. Really? In his 80s and he yeah. was in front yeah, of the Supreme Court. Yeah, then he was still in his 70s. But yeah. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. he is... Um, he won't. He just loves his job, so he won't give up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I grew up among um, students. Actually, we had student housing all around uh, where we lived, and students came to um, our um, house uh, to take exams. And it was. Um, I had a very safe and nice childhood, mm-hmm. and then I went on to uh, study chemical engineering in Gothenburg because I, I needed to study in a different, con- 
different city than my parents were. <laughs> I needed some distance. Um, and then also, before I went to um, to college, I took a gap year um, and went to France uh, to, to learn French better. And I um, actually spent a few months with nuns in a convent. Really? In the Alps, yeah. Wow. That was, uh, and, then, and then the rest of the year, I was a nanny in Paris. Um, and then after I graduated... Um, I spent a couple of years in Germany, most of them in, in Munich. Um, and then I went back home, uh, met my husband. And then we came to the U.S. in 1999. Um, we spent a year at, in Ohio and then we moved over here to San Diego. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's, you know I, I, I visited Munich about five years ago. Yeah. And it was just a really interesting city. Yeah. And just, you know, so much history. And it was, I mean... Yeah. You, I, I, I think it's great that you're from Europe because you have a different perspective on things, especially mm -hmm. from an educational point of view. And how many la languages do you know? So I used to be fluent in four or I, my goal was five, but I never became fluent in Spanish. But I do understand Spanish. So I speak, I, I was fluent in German, French, English and Swedish, obviously. Okay, so. well, you'll have plenty <laughs> of opportunity to, to do Spanish in San Diego. Yeah, yeah. So how did you come to San Diego and to Poway specifically, or uh, Rancho so, Bernardo. So me. my my husband did a postdoc at Ohio State, and then um, he did another year of postdoc um, at UCSD. Mm -hmm. um, and then I just wanted to join him. And when we had been in, in San Diego for about six months, I got a job. And then later he got a real, like a real job. Mm -hmm. um, and then we decided to buy a house um, in Penasquitos in 2001. Um, and we stayed there for 11 years. And then we moved on to 4S. And then right before the pandemic, we moved to Poway. Okay. So I lived in Poway Unified since 2001. That's like, is that 21 years? All right. <laughs> well, welcome to America. Welcome to yeah. Poway. We're happy to have you here. Um, and you have a master's in chemical engineering. Did I yes, read that right? Yes, correct. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So I... Uh, did my master's in, in biochemistry, but um, most of my professional life, I worked in production in product and process development and R&D, uh, both for a paper mill and then in welding. And then here in San Diego, I worked uh, for a for the company's name is Osmonics. We made water filters. So I, I was in the membrane production okay. <laughs> of the of the membrane inside the water filter. So. I mean, this is this is great. I mean, you're obviously very well educated, um, and I know I read on your website that you've been involved in a lot of educational issues prior to running for school board. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you were involved with the PTA and on some PUSD committees. Yeah. You know, share with me some of those um, experiences. I actually started when my uh, middle son was just a baby. I was the president of the Swedish school. Um, and I was involved with them for seven years. And then uh, I, a few years ago, about seven years ago, I um, became active in PTA. But maybe we should back, go back off and <laughs> talk about why. Okay, please. <laughs> yeah. 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 So um, I have three kids and they were all adopted at birth. Um, and my middle son, so my oldest son, did really well in school, and he um, he read all the Harry Potter books in second grade, 
and has been very successful. He's now um, at UCLA studying math. Oh, wow. But then my middle son, we thought he was so bright and we thought he would do so well in school. But then he started kindergarten and he said, school is boring. And the teacher reached out to me and said, he doesn't know his letters. And then you need to practice more. So we practiced and somehow they didn't stick. And he got an IP in first grade. Uh, and then in second grade, we were had moved over to 4S and he, he things just got really bad. He started hating school um, and the teacher said he, he can't read. Um, and at the end of second grade, the teacher told me that we need to move him to a special day class. So in third grade, he was in this special day class and... It was, I'd say, the worst year of my life because he was so sad and, and so depressed. Oh. And uh, um, when they tested him in third grade, he was still reading at the kindergarten to first grade level. And he couldn't write. He, he could hardly write his name, spell his name, <laughs> Sebastian. Um, and th- the worst aspect of that was that he was so unhappy and he went from this very happy um, little boy that was joking all the time and always had something fun going on and had lots of friends. And then he was more and more lonely. And what I realized in third grade, when he was in third grade, was that the way they taught him to read was not the way, the best way. It was not the way that science had found was the was was the way the evidence showed that this is the way you teach kids. So they were showing him, they they were telling him to look at the picture, um, to make his mouth ready, uh, whatever that means, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and then to stretch out the word. And that did not help him. And I realized that science had come a long way since those um, strategies had been developed in the 1960s. And that... These days we know that's not how kids learn to read and that they these, they can do um, what's called a functional MRI and that you can, you can tell while the kid is reading, they can tell how, what happens in the brain uh, when really? they learn to read. So wow. it's, um, and they can also tell from the, the, from the MRI if a child is reading in a good way or in a, like a, a proficient reader. So the best they found that the best way to teach reading is to sound out the words. And sadly, that knowledge hadn't reached the schools. And when I realized that, I started using a program with my son, and then he finally started to make progress. But he was so he needed more than just me. So in in fourth grade, we moved him to a private school Um, and he loved it from the first day. He got to try for one day. And when I drove him back home, he was just crying. And I was like, why are you crying? Yeah, I don't want to go back to my regular school. I want to stay at this school. Mm. And this is a small, amazing school in Poway. And I won't say the name because they don't want me to. Because whenever I mention this name, they get lots of new students <laughs> or parents who are calling and they want to have their kids. And they only have space for so many at that school, he advanced about six grade levels in two years. 
So wow. he got up to grade level. And that, um, it didn't fix all his problems. He still was struggling with writing. Um, but it, he got his, his um, willing zest for life back. Like he, he, um, he was suddenly happy. He suddenly had friends. And he used to be, but he used to count the days until the summer, next vacation or the summer break. And now he asked, like, why do we have to be on winter break? Like, I will miss school so much. <laughs> so uh, he was there for five years and now he's back at Pau, uh, in the public uh, school. He's, he's at Poway High uh, for high school. But anyway, I thought it was so horrible that you had to go outside the school district to get that kind of education. Uh, that should be available for all kids because I talk, I kept talking to parents who could not afford to move their kids to private school, who, who couldn't even afford tutoring, because this is very expensive. And <clears throat> they were desperate and they were crying. And like, this is so, this is such a simple change in the way you teach reading. And it has such amazing consequences. Like you can actually get a kid to read in such a short time. And, and this is, reading is more than just reading. It's the, it's the basis of all academic achievement. If you can't read, you can't really succeed in any other subject. Yeah. Even math these days is very much reading and writing. And um, I became involved in, this, in a group. Um, I had support group meetings in my house. And we started like, what can we do to get this knowledge to the district. So we started speaking at school board meetings. This was actually during the former um, uh, superintendent Collins. Mm-hmm. Um, and we started to uh, talk it. I remember he was very upset when he heard my story. <laughs> uh, and um, But nothing really happened. So they just said, no, we know how to teach reading. You, um, I know you want us to teach it this way, but no, no we know what we're doing. And we came back in 2018 and then we started talking to, so this was a few years later. Basically, the first time we advocated was in 2013, 14. So this was a few years later and we decided to now, we just need to to try this again. Uh, So we we met with all the school board members um, and then when we met TJ, he said, I need to set up a meeting with the superintendent. So then the superintendent was fairly new and she said, wow, um, I'm seeing that we, our cost for litigation is through the roof. Um, do you think this could help? This What you are suggesting, could that help? Yes, because mm-hmm. everyone I know has you the district because this is what happens when your kid isn't getting what, what's promised in the IP when they don't reach their goals. Mm-hmm. Parents in our district are well-connected and wealthy. So they will just get to an attorney and they will file a lawsuit. And that's very expensive for the district. So she started, we told her, like, we think you should save money. You can save money if you did this. And um, she had just hired a new um, superintendent, assistant superintendent for for special ed. So we spoke to him. And he actually listened. He was the first time I said, I thought like, okay, you probably have something here. Um, and he started 
very quickly training the special ed teachers and he bought a program we suggested and he says that after six months they had saved half a million dollars. And it may not be just because of the reading, but it, it was also that they started treating families better. Yeah. <laughs> but that's pretty amazing. Um, well, I've heard a lot of stories about families that have been upset that have su- schooled the school district for one thing or another. Yeah. And the litigation costs, the attorneys, that's it takes a pretty significant portion of the budget. Yes. So, yeah. But you know what? The thing that's striking me in your whole story is that everyone thinks so highly of Poway Unified School District. A lot of people move here yeah. because it's a great school system. Um, but yet you're identifying areas where there are some weaknesses in the way reading is taught. Yeah. Um, so this, it's interesting that you, you, the, the strategies for reading that you're suggesting are these strategies that are being used in schools somewhere else? Yes. So, um, so there's actually a lot of political history to this. So I'm a Democrat, but unfortunately, Democrats have been on the wrong side of history in this. Um, so they, the method that the district is still using or, or has been using for a long time was developed in New Zealand in the 1960s. And um, this uh, lady... Uh, developed something called Reading Recovery, and it became a very successful program. They made a lot of money on this. And she actually lied in her research. So they removed the kids who couldn't read. Um, And the... um, uh, Sorry. Um, Then when it came to the U.S., it was adapted by uh, Lucy Calkins and Fontans and Pinel. Those are big companies. And somehow they convinced the Democrats that this was a good uh, way of teaching reading. And President Bush, the younger Bush, Mm -hmm. his wife, I think, is it Laura? Laura Bush? Yeah, Laura. Um, She um, knew more about reading research than most politicians. People, so so she convinced her husband that this was actually uh, phonics was actually a good way of teaching kids to read, <clears throat> um, and she advocated for that. But sadly, it it stalled, and the the, um, the publishers' interest the publishers make a lot of money on these bad um, uh, textbooks, and um, they don't care that it doesn't work because they make money. Um, wow, yeah, I, I remember. Um, gosh, about eight years ago when Common Core was the hot topic. Yeah. And I remember they were, there were some people that were saying that it's all a strategy to sell more textbooks. Yeah. Yes. So it's, it's, you know, it's always follow the money, right? Yeah. There's, that has a lot of influence. Yeah. But it's interesting that you shared the experience where this reading, um, the old, the old reading, well, the one that's being taught now that was developed in the 1960s. Yeah. They removed the students that, had trouble reading. Yeah. So they kind of rigged the data. Exactly. So it looked much better. So yeah. I can understand why some people believed it, but it, it's sad that it wasn't. So so Poway, California is behind. So a, a state that I'm very impressed in is Mississippi. Um, they used to be at the bottom of reading scores. And they started a few years ago, they realized what they could do. And they started training all their teachers, or most of them. I don't think all, everyone got trained. And their reading scores went up when everyone else's went down. 
Really? And then other states uh, like Arkansas uh, follow them and their reading scores are also up. And these are some of the poorest states with typically the worst reading outcome. Well, that um, that's actually great news. I mean, overall for our nation. Yeah. But usually Californians will look down on Mississippi. Yeah. You know, because it is poor. It's yeah. in the south. And um, and yet they're being innovative. Yeah. You know, it's it too, because Powie Unified has the Design 39 school, you know, yeah. and they sort of pride themselves on innovative curriculum on yeah. that campus. But here they're resistant. I, my daughter went to D39 and I spoke to the then previous principal and he was intrigued, uh, but he wasn't willing to change, uh, with, which I thought was disappointing because they could have tried this. And, and they were one of the schools that... Uh, piloted the special ed uh, program, but um, somehow well, he, I think he was just trying too many new things. So, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, without following up. So, so one of my frustration as a, an engineer is that, as an engineer, you always have to prove that what you did had an impact, that it had a positive impact. I feel like in in education. They tend to take a lot of data, but they seldom look at, is this really relevant, what we're measuring? And they don't analyze it the way I would like to. Right. <laughs> um, to say, like, because what, what happened, sadly, is I didn't measure um, the reading knowledge well enough before they made a change and then not after. So if they had done that, they could have shown, OK, this is how long it took kids to learn to read before and this is how long it takes now. So then, sadly, after they made the switch, they started moving back into using um, another program named SIPS. Um, and that isn't working as well. So now we are trying to advocate again to please go back to what's actually, mm-hmm. <laughs> what's actually working. So if, if, the, if a school is about to change maybe the curriculum or the, the textbooks they use on how mm-hmm. they teach a particular subject, like in this case, reading, where is that decision made? Is it at the teacher level, the principal level, the school district level, or the school board level? So when we started looking at this, we realized that the district had seven different reading programs that were used in special ed, at least seven different. And it just depended on the site. So some teachers were trained in some programs, and then that's what they were using, Um they are trying to streamline it more to use the same. I, I told them, like, why don't we find out which is the best program and then use that? Like, why have so many different ones? If yeah. they are basically the same, teaching the same type of kids. It's, it's something different when um, you have, for example, a kid who's struggling with attention or some kids on the autism spectrum. They are really good at phonics, but they have a harder time understanding what they're reading or remembering what they're reading. And they need a different type of curriculum. But and and I should I should also say these two things that are really important that I do understand that kids need more than phonics. Um, reading comprehension also is very it's very important that kids have background knowledge, that they have vocabulary. Um, but because reading is basically a combination of um, the, the coding of the words and then understanding of the oral language. Mm-hmm. Um, and you cannot 
you, you do have to teach vocabulary and and background knowledge. Otherwise, you don't understand. You can you can read the words, but you don't understand what you're reading. Right. Yeah, uh, that, that makes sense. And the other thing I wanted to mention that is really important that we have never blamed the teachers. This is this is decisions that are made higher up, mm-hmm. and um, when teachers realized um, what they were doing, many have so. Uh, been very very um, happy with the, with the changes, and this summer uh, and and during this fall, some of the Gen Ed teachers get to to do the training IMSE mm-hmm. uh, on how to better teach uh, the foundations of phonics. I'd say so. Well, this is interesting to me because you know you're a scientist, right? Yeah. And and scientists like to study the data. Yeah. And they like to see which what's working, what's not working. Yeah. And, you know, it's like the test and the control group, right? Yeah. And once you've identified the, the curricula that teaches reading the best, it is interesting that it's just not become a best practice yeah. and standardized across the whole school district. Yeah. You know, of course, with the exception of students that have special needs of any unique sort. Um, so this, this is what's amazing to me about your candidacy is that you know a lot about what's going on in education. Uh, where a lot of other school board candidates, you know, are looking at it more from a political perspective. You're yeah. really a, a serious education yeah. person. So this is the, the reading issues are driving me the most because I've seen what it does to kids. And this is so much more common than we realize. My son's story isn't important if it wasn't so common. Uh, so th- dyslexia affects almost 20 percent. Um, of kids mm-hmm. or of people. And half of eighth graders don't read at, at grade level in California. Half? And if you go to a prison, 80% of prison inmates are not literate. They basically yeah. cannot do the basic. And the, it's estimated about 50% of them have dyslexia in a, in a typical prison. Really? And wow. if you go to juvenile hall, 80% of the kids in juvenile hall have learning disabilities. Yeah, so uh, if they're struggling in school, then they tend to get off the rails yeah. and then their life kind of goes sideways. Exactly, because these are smart kids mm-hmm. that with a little bit of more help early on could have had a very productive and, and successful life. So that's what's so sad about this. And it's also very – and Power Unified, it's about 75% of kids read at grade level. But that leaves 25% who don't. And this is in a very rich district that – a lot of parents um, send their kids to tutoring if they don't. Um, well, that's if they're uh, struggling. So seventy five percent read at grade level. Yeah. Now, I remember when I went to school. If I, if I got seventy five percent on a test, that's a letter C grade, yeah. yes. which isn't very good. You yeah. know, uh, and you would think that the school. I mean, to me, I hear seventy five percent. I'm disappointed. But you know. based on what you said about how we're, you know, the rest of America it's is It's better less. than California. Uh-huh. Uh, it's not as good as Massachusetts. So anywhere in the country where you have the, the wealthier parents, the better the kids read. But it's typically because if you're wealthy, um, you have resources, you know people, and you find the tutoring places where your kids can catch up. Right. And uh, what makes me very upset, because my my kids are biracial African-American, is that especially black kids read, their proficiency in reading is really low. 84% of black boys don't read at grade level. 
And that's mm. really something that's, um, I, we need to change that because that is so, that's, that's about equity and that's, that's so unfair. Um, mm-hmm. um, and that's become my passion to help families and to help and to try to push the school to do better. Yeah, this is very interesting. Um, because yeah, as as a parent, you know, I have two children that went through the whole school the whole school system here in Poway, yeah. and they got a very good education. Yeah. But they didn't have dyslexia, yeah. and I know that there is a community of parents that have dyslexic children that have been um, kind of lobbying the school board to take action. Yeah. Yeah, I was one of them. So yeah, you were one yeah. of them. I was, um, yeah, we had the, those planning meetings at my house. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, uh, but then, so this is what's so interesting because my oldest son did really well in school. And so I've seen both um, aspects of this. Um, he took AP classes and I can see why most parents who have kids like him, they don't realize what other parents are going through. And and what's, I just find it frustrating because the kids who are struggling with reading, they typically don't get help until they are in third or fourth grade. When mm. it's almost, I wouldn't say it's too late, but it gets a lot more expensive and harder to to remediate. Yeah, no, that makes um, sense. The, the younger, when you're about, around six, seven years old, your your brain is more flexible or plastic. So you you, what happens when you learn to read is that the brain physically changes, actually, because we were not made... To, to read. We were made, we were, we, we are born to, to speak. Mm-hmm. Reading is a new invention. It's just a few thousand years old. And we actually had to recycle a part of the brain that's used for face recognition. It's, a, it's an area behind your left ear and the researchers call it the letterbox. And uh, they, they know that, um, the uh, when when you read, you uh, first you see the words, and then that's uh, the, the image is transferred in the in the letterbox, and then it goes into the area of the brain that is responsible for the oral language. Um, and um, the uh, sorry, what well, was the question? A, yeah. no, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. no, to me, that's interesting because I know that I mean, you kind of roll the clock back historically. Yeah. That there were definitely, you know, societies or civilizations way back, yeah. you know, thousands of years ago that didn't read, yeah. and then others did read, yeah. and then you or know, just, just a few people in those societies read, well, right? Cause because they were often educated. it was just the priests or the uh, the more affluent people who could read. It's not been until the last century that we have expected everyone to read, and not mm-hmm. until the past few decades that this become so important because. It's so much more important these days that um, we need more people who are are highly educated. And that's why reading is so important, because it used to be in the 1920s, you could just go and be whatever your your dad was. (laughs) You didn't need to read much. Right. But then these days, it's very hard to handle everyday life without being able to read and write. Yeah, back in the day, if you're... Father was a blacksmith, and yeah. you were a blacksmith, yeah. um, and, and you, you didn't, didn't have need to, to read. document anything. <laughs> yeah, right. It was a, that, was, that was hundreds of years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is great. I mean, this is again, like I think this is an incredible conversation 
because we're talking about serious educational issues. Yeah. Um, but I just want to address the audience if it's all yeah. right. You know, again, this is a community forum. We welcome your thoughts and comments. If you're on Facebook or on YouTube, you can type in a question for Frida or you have some comments about education here in Poway Unified. You know, feel free to type those in. We'll see them on the screen. And there's already been a few comments. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you want to take a look? Sure. See what people are saying. There's you know, some good stuff here. So uh, let's see what we got. And this is um, from Casey Doan. Um, this, is a rem- this is remarkable, Frida. What incredible successful advocacy that has literally benefited all because mm-hmm. it saves so much on litigation um, mm-hmm. beyond actually helping the kids learn to read. So yeah. it wins I mean, on many levels. That's the most important. I just want the district to use the resources the best way. Yeah. And uh, what makes me so sad is when my son tells me that they wasted my time. And we should not waste kids' time with the wrong way of teaching. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I'm just as passionate about math instruction, but but that's a, so it's it's funny because um, uh, when I go out and, and talk to people, this is actually what many people have told me when I when I've canvassed. This oh, we need to go back to uh, reading and arithmetic is the word to use. Well, they're the three um, R, they say the three yeah. R's, reading, writing, and then, arithmetic. And often we don't agree on many other things, but we do agree that it's important to, to give kids a foundation for education. Because what happens now is that they come to middle school with all kinds of reading levels, all kinds of um, background in proficiency in math. And if we, we did like Finland, who um, Finland puts a lot of their resources in the first year of school to make the kids be at the same level. Whereas in the U.S., we tend to do to give help much later when they're already behind and, and when it's going to be very hard to catch up. Yeah. I mean, you got you to gotta educate them early with, yeah. the, with the right information, the right techniques. Yeah, mm. you're right. Because once they fall behind, then they get frustrated and then it's yeah. a bad experience and then their life takes a different track. Yeah. Right? And it's very hard for the teacher to, to just imagine to have kids at all their f- different reading levels in the classroom. Oh, that'd be they hard. They have a few who don't read at all. And then they have a few who read like novels <laughs> in and, second grade. Uh, yeah. And that's difficult. Yeah. For a teacher. Yeah. So th- there's still so much more I want to talk yeah, to you yes, about. Yeah, um, and we've on. talked a lot about um, <clears throat> reading and we've talked a little bit about dyslexia but um, gosh, we're already 34 minutes in. See, I tell you, this okay, goes yeah, faster yeah. than you expect, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, we, we won't go three hours like yeah, I did no. last night, so <laughs> you'd be okay there. But we, I want to get into um, you know bullying. I want to get into finances. I want to get into the infrastructure and the bond. Um, I want to get into a lot more. Yeah. So um, let's let's talk a little bit about this topic of bullying and mental health and safety because that's on your website and it's part of your campaign platform. So share with me your thoughts there. So when, when you run for office, they tell you to pick three things, Mm -hmm. your priorities. And then on the board, uh, I mean, I would have, if I elected, I would have to deal with a lot of different things, but this is very close to my heart because I know what the consequences are for bullied kids. It typically affects them the rest of their lives. Um, it leads to increased risk of depression, of feeling like an outsider. Um, if you are bullied, um, you don't succeed as well in life as, as if you're not. So, And then I keep hearing from parents that the district doesn't take bullying seriously enough. 
And then last year, it happened to my family that my oldest son re- told me, like, Mom, do you know what's going on? They And it, it added from when we were kids uh, is that the cyberbullying. So these kids, these days... Um, they use their camera, uh, their their phone to record the bullying, which adds a new dimension, oh. which is even worse. Because then it's shared on social yes, media. Yes, exactly. So oh. that's what happened to him. A few kids younger than him, he was a senior at the Norte, and a few kids younger than him recorded when they bullied him. So he was so embarrassed. He told me, and I reported it to um, the school. Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, we take this seriously. And okay, they they spoke to my son, and then nothing happened. And then I, a couple a week later, I followed up. Like, did you find the kids? Mm, yeah, we think we know who they are. And and then okay, give me another week. And but nothing really happened. And then I'm hearing from even more serious bullying that the same thing happened to them. The same kid got to bully their kid over and over again, and there was no consequence. That helped. There may have been things that people didn't know about. There may have been discussions with this kid that was bullying. Um, but uh, as, a, as a parent of the victim, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Right. Sorry. <coughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. You, by all means, get a drink of water. Because <laughs> you know, you're doing a lot of talking. Yeah. So. <clears throat> yes. So that's why... This also has to do with safety because <clears throat> um, one more. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. From school shootings, we know that um, the school shooter was often a bully, bullied. Bullied, yeah, yeah they were yes. the victim. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's why it's so important for other kids that we uh, find find this and resolve it. And then I'm also read up on some research about bullying and districts who take this seriously, they can reduce um, the events of bullying mm-hmm. quite significantly. So, and I, I'm still, when I discussed it, um, so now when I'm running, I contacted all the principals and, sorry. <laughs> um, it's okay. <coughs> got something in my throat. It's okay. Um. And then I discussed it with them. And so it was really interesting to see, to hear what the principals had to say about this, because they said, uh, all bullying isn't bullying. And that's mm-hmm. what the kids call bullying isn't bullying. And that I could agree ma- with, maybe, that they think that if someone just says something mean, it it's not bullying. But why do you draw the line? And if the kids have been hurt... Let's make that a, a learning experience and, and try to resolve um, so that what research also has shown is that the bully actually uh, face uh, worse mental health in the future. And yeah. because yeah. often the bully is bullying because he's, he or she is not doing well him, her, themselves. Correct. And they're projecting their own insecurities yeah. on the victim of the whole thing. Yeah. yeah so th- this is a, I mean, bullying, of course, goes back forever, yes. right? In schools. Yes. And, and they used to not do anything about yeah. it. <laughs> and, and, you know, if, I, if I'm being honest with myself, back when I was a child, I was probably on both sides of it, <laughs> you know? Mm. Um, and 
but it, it, it is a very serious issue because like you said, if, if it gets on social media, then the victim is, is experiencing it over and over again yeah. and it never goes away because it's on, you know, somebody's yeah. social media feed. Um, and then it, yeah, it just creates a really toxic environment. Yeah. So it's as a, it used to be back in the day that, you know, ah, it's no big deal, you know, just boys being boys. And, but we're, you know, we're more sophisticated now. Yeah. You know, we don't yeah. have to, we have to, we should address it. Yes. And find a way to solve the problem. But do you find that the school leadership, they just talk about addressing bullying, but they actually don't follow through? Or is um, it just too difficult to police? It's it's hard to know what they do, actually. And what I do know, because from speaking to victims' families, is that they don't follow up with the victims' families. So they don't know if something actually happened. Mm. And when it's repeated, I, I know kids who actually don't go to school because of bullying, who had to go to the virtual uh, options of learning. Oh, yeah. And, and that is unacceptable. Well, um, because they're probably almost feeling terrorized. And then also yeah. uh, often the kids who are the victim have to, to change to another school. And that should not, they shouldn't have to do that. Right. Uh, oh. Yeah, so. it's it's just really difficult. I mean, so you know, in in the schools there are counselors. Do you yeah. find that they're helpful in handling some of this? So at the um, high school level, the counselors are busy with uh, academics, like planning college, and then mm-hmm. they have um, they have the student services who is who does counseling. They may have other professional counseling. But then you would have to be approved to um, to get that type of counseling. Um, I don't even know if they're always involved um, in the higher, in high school and middle school. If- well, you, you hear these stories. I mean, I know this is maybe not PUSD specific, but mm-hmm. whenever there's been a school shooting, I yeah. hate, hate to bring that up, yes. but when there's been a school shooting, the district will usually make mental health resources available. Yeah. For yeah. families and for children yeah. that were grieving. Um, but is that kind of mental health support something that's always at, uh, available at schools or do they just bring it in for those tragic events? Probably they just bring it in. Yeah. I, I know that now with the 80, is it $80 million the district received during COVID, mm-hmm. uh, these extra funds, uh, a lot of that, those have been used for counseling, uh, counselors. They have um, they have some contract with Mending Matters, mm-hmm. um, who has counselors uh, because kids some kids were in a bad shape um, when they came back after the pandemic. Uh, well, let's go back to the bullying. I mean, what's the solution? I think that you just have to look at having look at the schools who who did were able to reduce the number of kids who say they've been bullied Mm -hmm. and see what they did. Poway often, just because we are a good district, we are not good at everything. And I feel like sometimes they want to solve the the problems in-house. They think all the knowledge is within Poway Unified. And um, with PTA, um, I, I get to have contact with so many other school districts and it's, it's really a lot of school districts are doing a lot of good things that we could learn from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I am just not, 
I don't think you have to invent the wheel every time. You just see what other people have done and then do what they are, are doing. Now that's the scientist in you, yeah. right? So find out what works. Yeah, you know, the best, best practices. Best basically. practices, yeah. precisely. Yeah. So um, well, let's, let's kind of hopscotch around a little yeah, bit. So sure. you were telling me earlier that you were, you've been talking to voters when you're out canvassing. Yeah. I see you on Facebook all the time, yeah. you know, with pictures when you're out like yeah. on different streets yeah. and you're canvassing. What are voters telling you? What, what are some of their hot buttons that are driving them to vote in this election? So there are different types of voters. There are those when they find out that I'm a Democrat, they're really happy and because I'm running against two Republicans. So they're happy that someone with their values is running. Um, and then they um, we just have a nice conversation. And then I have um, those voters that are concerned about the school district but don't know very much. And they are concerned about reading and math. And then we typically have a good conversation about what I think we should do to make sure that every child learns to read. Mm -hmm. Because it's easy to complain, but I am more for finding the solution. Mm -hmm. um, um, and, and that's what Poway said. When they finally listened to us, we had actually a PowerPoint presentation where we said, this is a problem. And this is the solution and this is what you could be benefit from, from doing what we are suggesting. And then they said, oh, this is so nice because people just complain and complain. They never come with a solution mm -hmm. to the problem. Um, and, and then back to the voters. And then there are many voters who are just tired of politics, especially school board. And they basically say, oh, good luck. <laughs> and they think, <laughs> probably think I'm crazy to be running this year. <laughs> Well, it's, you know, it's hard to be a candidate. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you're putting yourself out there uh, and yeah. it's it takes a lot of bravery to do that. Selling myself is hard. It is. is hard. Yeah. Yeah. A lot yeah. of courage to do what yeah. you're doing and a lot of hard work. You know, when yeah. you're out there talking to people, knocking on doors, trying to yeah. get your message out. Yeah. There are so many streets in my area. <laughs> yeah. I've been to almost every street in Rancho Bernardo and mm, a big part of Poway. Right. Poway is a little bit harder because uh, houses tend to be, in northern Poway, houses tend to be far apart. So it's a lot of walking from one house to another. Yeah. Like in where you live, it's um, it's almost like you have to move the car to get from one house to the next. Yeah, it is. And some neighborhoods are a lot more challenging, yeah. I understand. And then there are hills. And, yes. You know, so hopefully yeah. you have some good walking shoes yeah, when no, you're out yeah. there doing that. Yeah, and many, many nice and interesting people. I met some very, very special people that I will always remember that that really uh, had great conversations with. Yeah, that's, to me, that's what's a great thing about being a candidate is that you meet a lot of people you understand yeah. what their concerns are. You connect with people yeah. in, in a special way. Yeah, you learn, get to know your neighborhood a lot better than yeah. I did before. Yeah. yeah. So, the, the yeah the the experience of being a candidate is wonderful, and I'm glad you're having some yeah. really positive vibes on yeah. that. Um, and again, just want to let the audience know. And I know there's some more comments coming in, uh, and we'll get to those. But feel free to type those in on Facebook or YouTube if you have a question for Frida uh, or some comments about our school district. Um, I want to bring up one other topic before we kind of open it back up to the audience. And it, it, it's it's the whole, you know, 
all the issues related to race. Mm. And, um, you know, a few years back, there was that Instagram account, Black at PUSD, where there were some uh, black high school students that were experiencing um, racism on campus. And to, to Westview uh, students, they were. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It was Westview. Pardon me. It was Westview, and then they really sort of raised the issue yeah. of of some of the racial discrimination or racism that they were experiencing, and and they were also very brave. They yeah. went to the school board and lobbied them to change some of the curriculum in yeah. some of the schools. And so, when you talk about race, race issues are always a hot topic. Yeah. And then race in education leads to the issue of CRT, which yeah. is in the news. And yeah. so just take me down this path of your perspective of issues like with race and with equity and inclusion, this whole package. Yeah. So I haven't uh, spoken much about my PTA experience yet. So uh, seven years ago, while I was advocating for reading, I got involved in PTA. So I was the PTA president at first at Oak Valley and then I was on the board at the North. I became the PTA president over there. And then um, during the pandemic, I was the um, PTA president for the school district. Really? Uh, Yeah, that's Polymer Council. So PTA is organized in levels. There is the unit level at the school and then there is... um, um, like a school district level, and then there is the county level, and then there is the state level and the national level. So you were president at the, the district at, level? At the school district level, Wow, yes. that's impressive. And then the whole thing with the tragic um, events with George Floyd happened in, oh, in yeah. the summer of 2020. Mm-hmm. And um, I... F- as a PTA president, I felt like we need to do something for PTA. PTA has always been an advocate for diversity and inclusion. So um, I was contacted by a community member and we decided to start a committee, so a PTA committee. <clears throat> and we call it Justice, Equity, Diversity and Inclusion. So th- that becomes Jedi. So that was kind of on purpose. Oh, Jedi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And we have had very interesting conversations. I learned so much. So already with my kids, as a as a white person raising biracial African American kids, you you get a perspective that I hadn't had before in my life. So as white, we don't understand how much racism there is in society, sadly. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's very easy as a white person to just go through life and not know anything about what your neighbors are going through. And we, and, and at the same time, I also realized that this is a very difficult subject to talk about, especially in this country. Um, it's not like Europe doesn't have racism, but we don't have the same history as the U.S. So um, this committee now has 250 Facebook members. Oh, uh, nice. But gotten really big um, and... Some of the schools started their own committees. And, and, and I've learned so much from, we also have a book club where we, we read books to get, the, the goal is for us to learn more and to be able to speak about this in a better way. And the goal then obviously is to make the schools more, um, to make sure that all kids can go to school feeling safe and valued. Mm-hmm. Um, so, because what the wonderful women um, in Black and PUSD, um, they made 
that it's clear to everyone is that uh, there is a lot of racism in our school districts and we need to do something about that. So, Well, do you think there's progress being made on this front? So from my family, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, things that were kind of brushed to the side before are taken seriously. And I feel like teachers and staff are much more focused. They understand more about what it's like to be maybe the only african-american kid in the class and what that what that feels like Mm -hmm. i feel like they have much more understanding that it's very uh, it can be very difficult yeah i totally understand that so um yeah i know this is just a really hot issue and and you know really Mm -hmm. crt isn't that like a college level course yeah so that's uh how this has it CRT as a critical race theory has its roots in the civil rights movements in the 1960s. And it was just a college class for law students. Is it? I think Harvard developed it. Mm-hmm. And, and then during the pandemic and with George Floyd, it was taken up by some media sources and they started using it as a bad word. And what really it is, is to, for these law students, because so many laws have not been, have been racist, basically. They have not treated everyone the same. Um, and they were started, they started to look at that and improve the laws and also the attitudes. Because the problem in many of these things is that it's, we are not aware how we think. And th- the whole thing was to, to bring that up to the surface so that we can fix it. Mm-hmm. And then sadly, that that law school class was then used as a political, in the political debate. And we, we can't say that schools, we schools definitely don't teach CRT as a law school class. But what the like ethnic studies and ethnic literature classes, they do have the aspect of of helping kids find their identity and if that identity is not white then that definitely is uh, they are looking at what it's like to be to to they, they they call it both mirrors and lenses so you 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 should be able to read books about yourself uh, someone that looks like you from from my kids I remember all of them were really, really happy when they they had a, in second grade, uh, they got to read about Martin Luther King because mm-hmm. that was typically the first black person that they read about. They had a book. And and that is the idea that it shouldn't just be a two or three people. There should be lots of authors. There are more than Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King <laughs> in the <Right>. world. <laughs> of course. Yeah. And... Uh, I was. A, I'm a big supporter of ethnic lit and ethnic studies. My oldest son had ethnic lit last year, and he said it was one of the best, or maybe the best class he had. Uh, he learned so much and and learned about feeling more confident in his identity. And they, they talk. It's not just about the racial identity. They talk about you can have many different identities. He. It was so interesting to watch his presentation about. Um, his identity in, in um, ethnic lit, because I was really proud that he also mentioned that he's Swedish because mm-hmm. I didn't even know uh, my kids have a mixed, they like going to Sweden and they speak Swedish, but 
it's not a big part of their identity, I thought, but apparently it was for him, which was great. Yeah. Right, because there's something special yeah. about yeah. him. Yeah, he is a, sit- a Swedish citizen as well as American. So uh, that's my thoughts. I think that we need to um, learn as much as possible about each other um, and so we can have more respect and understanding for people who are different, who had a different experience mm-hmm. in life. And that the schools have, play an important role because they need to prepare kids for the future. And like my husband works for Amazon. He's a senior manager and he has people, he works with people from all over the world. And you need to be prepared for that. You need to prepare kids in school that their job might be like you don't, may not have a single American co- colleague Um and you have people from all over the world. You need to be able to understand them and not think that everyone is like you. And that's basically mm-hmm. what I, why I think that the equity and diversity pro, uh, program is important. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> right, it's very interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of what you're saying makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, race is a huge part of American history, yeah. and a yeah. lot, and there's a lot of different dimensions to it. Um, but it, it is an interesting topic, just because it's been at least CRT has been so politicized and in many ways sort of blown out of proportion. Um, And I think, I think if you were to ask different people, the same question, what is CRT? You would get very different answers depending on who you ask. Yeah. Yes. You know, absolutely. Uh, And, and then also some people tell me like, why can't we just be tell, uh, teach kids to be colorblind? And that's, that works for white people. <laughs> mm-hmm. It doesn't work for people who have experienced that they are treated differently because they're not. Uh, mm-hmm. So people think may think they're colorblind, but they're, we are not colorblind because this has, we have maybe in us from the very beginning, from when we only met about 200 people in our lifetime, <laughs> they all looked like us. Mm-hmm. So we are not, we have to look deep into ourselves to... Um, to see what what are my prejudices and um, how can I be a better person? Yeah, that was very interesting. So, can we go to, uh, yes. ask the audience yes, if, please. see yeah. get their input here on a few things? The the chat line is lighting up. Um, oh, wow. So let's mm-hmm. see what we've got here from uh, some folks. And um, this is from oh Pete Neald. He has oh, a comment yeah. here yeah. from he was on the show Hi, last night. Um, Obscure issues are sometimes hard to identify. I was in the first grade before we discovered I needed glasses. Yeah. And that was a private school of 15 to 1 student-teacher ratios in grades 1 through 6. This is an interesting topic because my wife talks about this. My wife's highly educated. Uh, But when she was in the first grade, they told her that she was going to be a remedial student. She was going to – the teacher said this to her mom. And it was mostly because she didn't – she couldn't see this, the, the oh, chalkboard yeah, yeah. and, and they didn't identify that problem is, yeah. you know, what Pete was explaining. So, uh, yeah, so it's it just, yeah, you, these are so many nuanced issues with education, yes. isn't it? And, and for about a year, I worked for a company that, um, tried to sell a dyslexia screener. So we used eye tracking, um, and kids for then in two minutes, you can tell whether they could read or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and there we actually discovered quite a few kids who couldn't who couldn't see because yeah. they needed glasses. 
and and it's I'm really grateful that schools uh, check kids' hearing and and vision in at least California because mm-hmm. if you can't see, you can't do anything. You can't read. You can't. You can. It's very very hard to succeed in school if you if you can't even read the blackboard or whiteboard. Right, and then I think if you're you know let's just say six years old and you're in the first grade or something. Yeah. I mean, the parents might be unaware that the child yeah. can't read, yeah. and the child may be unaware that they can't read yeah. Yeah, because, because they can't normal. see. Yeah. You know, so yeah, that's a that's a tricky one. And um, I, I then obviously think that you should sh- uh, screen for reading problems at the same time when you're checking kids' vision, right? <laughs> Let's see. Well, so we got a couple more comments yeah. here. Uh, okay, and Mike Devine is already on here under his. He this, Mike Devine was on the podcast last night. He's on it under his Chuck uh, Smith pseudonym. Um, yeah, don't worry. Oh, he must have got blacklisted at uh, or, or kicked off of Facebook. So um, let's see what we got here. Oh, this is this is from Mike. He, uh, he, he says Chuck Smith. His real name is Mike Devine. Okay. And he says, bullying is a major problem. My kids, girls, uh, were told that they have hairy arms. What are you talking about here? Uh, counselors were useless. Their parents' job is to teach respectful citizenship. Yeah, yeah. Kids tease each other over the stupidest yeah, things. Yeah. I think that's Mike's point <laughs> that's here. So absolutely, um, and and we can we just need to teach kids to be kind to each other. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's basic, and and we have always done that. It's not something new. It's uh, it's just that bullying can can be in more in new ways these, these days with, with phones and yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it's it's different now. It's because it's just like we said before; it stays forever, and and it it seems to be more um, have worse consequences for kids. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's see if we got a couple more comments here. That uh, um, okay, so there's some comments here that are <laughs> that are relevant, and some yeah. aren't, and. Uh, let, let me let's just kind of move on. I have a bunch of yes. other questions, yeah. and we'll maybe get to some we of can, these in we a can moment. Do them later. Um, where, which one are we here? That's this screen. There we go. Okay. So let's talk about, um, finances. Oh yeah. Okay. Cause, uh, the, the Poway Unified has had a kind of a crazy history with, when it comes yeah. to money issues, yeah. you know, there was the billion dollar bond, like yeah. it was about 10 years ago and we still haven't started paying on that. Yeah, no, it's, it's like, we're not going to start paying until 20 years after they, uh, took yeah. The bond. Uh, so they deferred all the interest yeah. and then it compounds. And that's why it became a $1 billion bond yeah. because when you don't pay off your loan. Yeah. Then it's just, you know, like personal increase. finance 101. Yeah. So, uh, so that's still looming. They're going to start payments in 2033. And yeah. I think that'll go until 2052. So there's yeah. that. Then the school district has had a history of some deficits, structural deficits and some challenges yeah. managing their money. Now, apparently they made great strides. You know, that's what we're being told. And now they've had some reserves, which is good. Um, but then there's this issue of um, infrastructure. Yeah. And, you know, like I know at Poway High, the, the locker room there in the gymnasium yes. is just terrible. Yeah. Um, and there's some legitimate need for upgrades. I mean, there's the air conditioning at Rancho Bernardo High School yeah. and the middle school there. Um, so actually, air conditioning at many schools. Yeah, those it are just came, two. Yeah, <laughs> it went out during the heat wave we had. Was it September, um, August, September? Yeah. There were um, several schools that didn't have AC. Yeah, um, and 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 it's hard to teach. Even some of the newer ones. <laughs> yeah, in a classroom, you need to 
have a productive environment yeah. so you can teach. Yeah. So safe, there's a lot of financial things going on here. So yeah. share with me your thoughts about how you see Poway Unified Financials. So we, like they always say, we are the lowest funded school district in the county. And that's because we fall in between. We don't have enough property taxes uh, to be a base, so-called basic aid uh, school district. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't have many low-income and English learner uh, students who give us the extra uh, funding. So every kid gets, it's about $10,000. It's the the uh, base grant. Mm-hmm. And then you get on top of that additional funding. Um, and that's difficult because um, they have to pay salaries and we need um, facilities at work. Um, and, and that costs whether you have low-income students or not. Um, I think the, the school budget is very it's very complicated too because some of the funds they get have to be used for certain areas. It's not like they can just say, okay, we got some funding for this. Let's use it for, oh, like an AC. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, no, we need to use that for special education. So uh, I think that if I'm correct, Four hundred. The total budget is around four hundred fifty million, mm-hmm. and then um, over eighty percent is uh, salaries, right. benefits, pensions. Mm-hmm. So there is not much left to work with. If you and we we need to um, have a certain number of staff because uh, you can only have so many kids in the classroom by law. So it's not like you can say, "Oh, let's save money by." Um, having fewer teachers, having more kids per classroom, because uh, I think we're already at limit. I think it's 25 per class. Yeah, California passed some kind of a law about class size a number of elections ago. And that's actually the highest, California has the highest number, um, biggest class sizes in in the country. So states like Massachusetts, um, they give schools twice as much funding per kid and they have much smaller classes, especially like elementary school. They typically have just 15 to 18 kids in a class. And that's a big difference for, for a teacher. Mm-hmm. I, my mom was a teacher and she um, would say that when you had a certain number of kids, they were no longer individuals. They just became a mass <laughs> that you right. taught you. And, and it was harder to remember their names and, and their, what they, who they were. Well, especially like we talked about earlier in a classroom, imagine a classroom, of, let's just say 30 children yeah. or 35. Yeah. That was, I don't know if they can legally do that. Yeah. But so, like you said, some of, them, they can, yeah. some of them can't read at all. Yeah. Some of them are reading novels and there's yeah. a whole bunch in between. That becomes yeah. a challenge. Right? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah. Do you think there's going to be another bond? Yeah. So it was unfortunate. I, I'm not surprised the the previous bond failed, but just rem- if you remember, the interest rates were a lot better <laughs> yeah. in 2020 than they are now. Um, I think they just jacked them up again today. Oh, yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah. the Federal Reserve put them up three quarters of a percent. And so we would also have received a matching fund for, if I'm, 
I think it was $84 million from the state mm-hmm. if we had passed the bond. <clears throat> but on the other hand, I do understand why it didn't pass because I didn't think they did a good job marketing it or explaining what they wanted to. Mm-hmm. They underestimated the, the consequences from the history of the billion-dollar bond. <laughs> the yeah. community still remembered uh, the failure of the previous, even though it was a, a different superintendent. That doesn't really matter for most people. Um, they, they, I don't think they did a good job convincing the uh, the community. Though it did, it was very close to passing. Uh, I think was it fifty two point five percent, and they needed fifty five. Right. <laughs> well, you when I when I um, moved to Poway in ninety six. Back then, they needed two-thirds. Yeah, yeah. And they've since lowered the threshold to make it easier to pass yeah. bonds. Um, but, yeah, it came close. I felt that the that they rushed it. Um, yes. You know, they didn't give it – like, to your point, they didn't educate the public. Yeah. Um, they didn't give it enough time, I thought. They didn't build trust. Well, that too. Because trust was missing, and they needed to do more than if um, you take any other district because of our history. Um, they say they even passed a law to prevent school district from doing what Poway Unified did in 2000. Yeah, the capital appreciation bonds are now illegal. Yeah, um, yeah, that was a rough time. I mean, we were, um, I think we were on the you know, national media for a school district that made like yeah. a blunder of colossal. And, uh, and then when I speak levels. to principals and when I visit schools, many of our schools look nice because they're well painted and they have nice mm-hmm. plants outside. But then the principals pointed out, like, if you look inside the walls, um, the the wiring hasn't been updated since they were built. Mm-hmm. Um, the Like you mentioned, the AC um, and are failing. The um, Some of the buildings, um, like the... Locker room at Poway High is horrible. Yeah. Um, and the problem is that the state doesn't give us funding for facilities. So, which I think is bad. It, sh- it shouldn't be that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's unfair. Um, the state should fully, fully fund education. I even think there is a mandate <laughs> that they have to do that. Mm-hmm. But somehow they came up with a solution that the community should care enough about our schools so that we, um, through uh, a bond, um, would pay for updates of facilities. Right. So sooner or later, unless we can advocate and make sure they change the way that that the schools are funded, they will need a bond sooner or later. But Mm -hmm. during this recession... And with these high interest rates, it's not it's not the best time to take take one out. Right. <clears throat> we we certainly don't want to you know make another <clears throat> bad mistake yeah. on on a bond level. But here's another interesting question when it comes to educational funding: is yeah. there's a proposition on the ballot right now, and I think it's Prop 28. I yeah. think about the arts, the arts and music, yeah. and I think they wanted to you know allocate. What was it? A billion dollars? Yes, it's a billion dollars. It's unclear how much Power Unified would get because it would probably um, be distributed through the the funding formula. Mm-hmm. And because what I stated before, uh, we don't get as much funding, state funding, as other school district. But it would require 
school districts to spend 1% of the budget on uh, the arts, so music and art. And that's the reason behind this proposition is that half of California school districts don't spend anything on arts and music. Mm-hmm. And we are very lucky in this district. My son was in band from fifth grade to his senior year. And it was really an amazing experience. Um, My daughter just started playing the clarinet in fifth grade. (laughs) Um, She loves it. Um, It it really gives kids a break from the typical academic um, instruction and let some kids shine that otherwise wouldn't have had an opportunity. Um, I also am passionate about um, visual arts. And um, they say that about around 4 million people in Southern California actually work within these fields. So it's not just for fun. We are preparing kids for the future. Um, I hope it passes. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I th- it's it's interesting here at Poway Unified because we were talking about this before we got started yeah. this evening, that the high schools have a music program. Yeah. But when you get to the elementary schools, it's almost like they're funded by donations yeah. from parents. Yeah. And so schools that are in wealthy neighborhoods tend to fundraise better than yeah. schools that are maybe in lower income neighborhoods. Yeah. And then and then that usually like, gets some people upset. Yeah, we did Oak Valley PTA um, ran the art corps. So the only, what I know, the only art education that uh, middle school students got was through PTA. Uh, And that Mm -hmm. was uh, then, I don't think that's right. I think that all kids need to get a chance to express themselves in the arts. And it's also been shown that it really helps with mental health. Mm -hmm. It's a release from... You can express yourself. You can show your emotions. You can you can find and find new friends. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's therapeutic in yes, a lot of ways too, yeah. isn't it? Um, okay, so are you, how you doing? Are we, are um, we're, yeah, I'm good. Is we're an at hour? an hour. We're at an hour and thirteen minutes. Oh, okay. are, you, are you all right? Yeah. Yes, I'm fine. Okay, I'm not going to keep you long, yeah. but I do have a few more topics I want to co- I want to yeah. cover because I, they're important educational issues that are yeah. you know that people want to know about, right? Yeah. Um, the Let's see. Gosh, there's so many different ones we can go to, but let's 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 go with this one. The topic of COVID was yeah. now. Granted, this is sort of in the rearview mirror now, but there was a lot of um, people that were uh, upset that the schools were closed. Yeah. There's the mask issue, all of that. I mean, w- would you have done things maybe differently than the school b- board or the superintendent did when they had their COVID policy at Poway Unified? So. Wasn't that much the school? So the, the state had the mandates. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't that much that the school board or the school district could have done differently. They were. Um, I ho- I really hope we will be better prepared for the next pandemic that will happen. Um, uh, you kind of when you look back, you wonder was it the right decision to close schools, especially in March 2020, when I think we only had less than 30 cases in San Diego. I um, think we probably would have needed to close down um, soon. This is is difficult. I was very upset that bars were open and schools were closed. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That we let some things for adults 
uh, be open and then um, not have schools open. I know some kids did really well in virtual. My kids did not. They did. Um, they hardly learned anything. Um, my my son, oldest son, spent his junior year in his room trying to follow along with virtual classes and they were not the same quality as in person. Um, and my daughter, I think she missed a year of elementary school mm-hmm. because most of the elementary kids really didn't. She had, I guess, two hours a day and 20, 20, 20, 21, but that's not enough to no. to uh, learn what they needed to. Yeah, I mean, for, I think for... I think now we we kind of realize for some people it was like a wasted year. Yeah, you know, and it, yeah. it was actually a little longer than a year. Poway Unified, wasn't it? And it was even worse for kids from in low income neighborhoods who don't. He didn't even have a computer or somewhere to do virtual learning, mm-hmm. or didn't have even in in our district there were kids who didn't have Wi Fi, mm-hmm. um, and so it, it became very unfair. And lots of kids dropped out of high school that never came back. So it it has huge consequences for for many people. Mm-hmm. Um, Just a completely different topic. Um, let's let's say you you're successful and you win your election mm-hmm. and you're on the school board yeah. and you're up. What is it on Avenue of Science? Is yeah, that where the building yes. is? Right by Costco and <laughs> nice street name. <laughs> yeah, I know it is a yeah. good street name. I think the the nearby one's Innovation yeah. Road or something. Yeah. So let's pretend that you're on the school board. Mm-hmm. And you're up there with the existing school board members, right? Yeah. You know, Michelle O'Connor Ratcliffe and yeah. Darshana Patel. We kind of know who they are. How would you be different? What would you do maybe that you, we might be – not say necessarily surprised, but what could we expect if you were on the school board? I would ask more questions. I've been bothered that the current board um, all agree – all vote yes on everything. I don't think that's necessary. I mean, you can, I don't think they ask enough questions. And and I know that they're um, in front of the public. I know that they have meetings before the school board meetings. And that's apparently where a lot of the discussion happens. And I don't think that's fair to the community. I I want to know what their initial questions are. Um, and, and I feel like when they come to the board meeting, it's all already discussed and done, and they just um, typically just praise the district and that's it. (laughs) So I would ask them for more data to show that they need to show that the improvements actually are improvements, that they actually found the best practices. Um, And um, I think that's the job of the the school board member, Mm -hmm. of a trustee, to, to be the voice of the community. I would also reply to my emails uh, <laughs> that uh, there are a few school board members who never do that. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's very important to, not for me, because typically people listen to me, but <laughs> but it's important that they, they reply to any parent or community member who has a concern. And, well, some and bring of the school board up. members have banned their constituents on yeah. social media. Yeah, you know yeah, they, they got into some trouble yeah. for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, if you're an elected if you're an elected official, you should be responsive responsive to the people that elected you. Yeah, right? and then obviously it can be 
that they are basically harassing you by uh, sending mm-hmm. emails the same over and over again just to take up your time that I would not accept. But that's that's a different uh, that's a different problem. And hopefully mm-hmm. that wouldn't happen. What's funny mm-hmm. is that 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 is a similar theme in the Poway City Council races yeah. where some people are, why is it always five to zero, you know, on, yeah. the, on the votes? And why are they not asking enough questions? And yeah. sometimes, yeah, you wonder where the decisions already made before and then yeah. they get up there. So uh, another thing I would do different is that if you have paid, att- have you attended any of the school board meetings lately for the past year? They have a group of parents who are very critical of the district and they want to ban books and they want to, they have lots of different ideas of what they would do differently. And I feel like they should be addressed. And typically, um, the school board members speak at the very end of the meeting, when most people have left, and then they give their report. I think it should be possible to, to just say why we do things, because many of the concerns they have never get addressed. And we can explain, better explain why things are the way they are. Yeah. You know, now I have attended some school board meetings yeah. that have gone like three hours, four yeah, hours. Yeah. And the first hour and a half is all the ceremonial yeah, things. Celebrations. Yeah. yeah. No, we're going to, you know, recognize this group yeah. and the, one of the great things that they did and the teacher of the year and, you know, um, and, and it's all fun and there's all the people there to support yeah. and then they get to business. And by that time, it's like already nine o'clock yeah. and, and there's like the room's almost empty. Yeah. You know, it's funny how that works. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm happy hearing the stories on the news about yeah. really vocal parents showing up at these school board meetings, not yeah. just at Poway Unified, but all around America. Yeah. yeah. And they've been very vocal. In some cases, they go beyond being very vocal, right? Yeah. Have they been reasonably well behaved here at Poway? Um. I don't want to come. Okay, you won't go down that path. Okay, so let me ask you this question. It's sort of a similar one. I asked you how would would things be different if you were elected? But you're running in a race against two other candidates. Yeah. So how are you different than the other two? So I'm running against um, um, the incumbent, General Corrette. um, And um, how I'm different. I feel like I'm bringing a lot more diversity to the school board. I have, thanks to my kids, I have a lot more diverse and more diverse experience um, from many different types. Um, uh, I have two kids in special ed. um, And then I have one kid who's more like um, um, her kids, I guess, Uh, that just has given me many insights that I think that if you haven't been through it yourself, you have no idea what how the district, you see different sides of the district. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I have so, uh, seven years um, of PTA advocacy. Um, so I think I see things a different way than she does. I... Um, 
I know she's very interested in um, critical, uh, not critical, <laughs> CTE, not CTE. Okay. Yeah. What's CTE uh, again? Career technical education. Oh, that's like vocational. Ed, it right? is. So the funny thing is that some people think that, but it's not because it's a combination. It can be very advanced classes like. Um, veterinary science. My son took that class. Oh, um, nice. Um, the, it's part of the um, agriculture program at Poway High. And then uh, it can be engineering. But it can also be at Mount Carmel, they have a firefighters program. Uh, so it's not just preparing for a career right after high school. Um, I have mixed feelings about... Uh, these classes. Uh, my experience from my kids is that they sometimes have a low, lower quality. Um, I think that it's kind of a um, philosophical um, attitude. So when you either you make sure that all kids are have a very broad education, so that they're prepared for anything after high school, or you let them limit themselves very early. And different countries have different, um, I know in, in Germany, they, they choose already in fifth grade where they want to go, if they're going to go to, to college or if they're going to have more of a vocational. Uh, mm-hmm. They decide I, in the fifth grade. So, yeah. And I think that's way too early. Because yeah, it is. It's more the parents that decide for the kids. And um, I mean, I was a struggling student when I was younger and it wasn't until um, middle and high school that I got really good, I mean, better grades. And I I would have hated for people to decide my future in fifth grade. So (laughs) so I feel the same way um, about it's, it's, I guess it's good to try, but um, if you can study chemistry, Instead of a narrow field in chemistry, you have a much better, um, many more doors open uh, for the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my other opponent, you want me to mention well, him? Just, it's up to you. Just explain how you're different. You know, yeah. I'm giving you a so chance he, to sell we yourself. We agree on some things. Um, I also agree that we need to focus on early learning in math and reading. I just think that we can do that and at the same time teach kids how to get along and to be aware of um, that kids come to school with very different experiences and uh, we need to treat everyone with respect and uh, also that some kids come with problems that the school can help help them solve, mm-hmm. uh, like uh, mental health, for mm-hmm. example. Well, I mean, I know a lot of these topics that are on your website are very different than the topics that are on your competitors' websites. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, and, and, and we've covered a lot of that with, you know, the reading with dyslexia, dyslexia with yeah. the bullying, um, yeah. and a lot of other topics we've covered. Yeah. Now, okay, we're, we're at like an hour 26. Yeah. And, I mean, there's a million other things we could talk about, yeah. but I mean, we don't have all night. Yeah. So, you want to take one more question from the audience? Well, the, well it, we're all of a sudden now, like some spam bot is okay. hitting the thing. So, <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. So, okay. what have we left out that is important for you to express to the voters about your candidacy? That on the board, 
I would have an open mind. I don't think I think I know everything. I would approach it the way I did as an engineer, like, oh, wow, this is a problem that I need to learn more about. Um, and then I would study, tr- ask a lot of questions, ask people outside the district for more information and and then make up my mind. And then also obviously discuss with the school board, oh, sorry, the school district, but then at the board meeting, I would ask those questions, even though I already knew the answer. I would ask those questions because my questions are very often the questions of the community. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mentioned before, I was a candidate for school board eight years ago, and I remember being approached by uh, families who had children that had dyslexia issues. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there, so there's a lot of community, how should I say, concern about what's happening in our yeah. schools. And they want to be able to contact their representative and have their voice heard. Yeah. So, right? And then I also already done this, but PTA, because we are in most, some people may think that we just organize parties, but the most important aspect of PTA is advocacy. We are the the families. We The PTA stands for Parent Teacher Association. And the idea is that we should bring the families together and the teachers and and. Uh, create a community so that, we, so that we do what's best for kids. So sometimes when, so this group that uh, one of my opponents, he, uh, they, they call themselves um, pro-parent, pro-parent. I find that very interesting because I've been a pro-parent my whole PTA career. We, that's all we do. We, we get the ideas and opinions and concerns from the parents and we try to bring them up to the school district. And to say that um, parents did not have a voice in the district before, that's just not true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, because there, there is the opportunity to go through PTA. Yeah. Uh, and there is an opportunity politically so, to get a hold of your rep- your board member. Yeah. Although some maybe don't respond to yeah. emails. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I was mentioning this when Patrick Batten was here, um, mm-hmm. that I had heard this quote. And actually, you know who I heard it from is a gentleman named Steve Sarvell who used to live here in Poway, is very big education. He doesn't live here anymore. Yeah, yeah. But he said that good education is like a three-legged stool. Yeah. And there's a parents, the teachers, and the student. Yeah. And all three of those need to be working correctly. Yeah. If you remove one leg, the stool falls over. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so that makes sense. Um, yeah, so your PTA experience is pretty unique you know, compared to some of your, your, your two opponents. Yeah, no, they don't. They don't have that. And and some schools have foundations that work similarly, but then the difference is that that's just at the school board, school mm-hmm. school school level. Um, I I was the VP of family engagement for the um, PTA for the county level. So wow, I I did that for two years, um, and um, that got me connections all over the county for for different school districts. And I, I think I know, may know more about what's going on in other areas uh, than most of, most of the, the current board. Okay. Mm. So we, we've, have we covered everything? I don't know. <laughs> I, know we, we, I mean, we can go on for, how, how can people yeah. get a hold of you? What's the so, best way for them to reach you? Um, my email address is uh, Frida uh, for the, the number four, PUSD at gmail.com. That's the best way to. 
Frida for PUSD at gmail.com. Yes. And what's your website address? Um, <laughs> it's also Frida and then the number four, um, uh, PUSD.com. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it, <laughs> it seems like everyone does that, right? It's They use the yes, four yeah. uh, with PUSD, I think. Like 80% of the to candidates. To make it shorter and, and easier to remember. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But then you always have to say it's the number four, not yeah. F-O-R, yeah. Yeah. you know. So yeah. um, anyways, I want to thank you for coming. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for yeah. what you're doing here to, to get the, the community to get to know the, the candidates. Right. That's yeah. the, kind of the whole point of yeah. this. Um, you know, I'm, I'm here to give you an opportunity to share your message, to share your campaign platform. We kind of make it a fun conversation yeah. and we'll talk about your issues. We'll talk about some national issues. I mean, I got a million other things here, but we were already an hour and a half. I knew you yeah. were a little under the weather and I don't want to keep okay. make this really okay. long. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. And, and to the audience, I just want to say thank you for joining us on the live stream. And um, this may be the last political podcast, um, you know, so... We've had, gosh, I think like about eight different candidates and other people. We've got one week left to go on yes. the election, right? Yeah. Are you looking forward to it ending? Um, yes and no. It's been fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So today is Wednesday. So it's in, on Tuesday's election. Night. Yeah. So six in days. six days. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I haven't voted yet. Have you? No. <laughs> No, not yet. We were talking about that last night. Um, I typically like to wait till the end. I used yeah. to always like to walk in and you know, check a box. I like, did too on election day. Yeah. yeah. But now they make it so easy to vote by mail. So anyways, yeah, um, yeah I haven't voted yet, <laughs> uh, but this is good for people. There's a lot of people who haven't voted yet and they get a chance to meet you. Yeah. Um, but okay. Audience. Thanks again. Thanks for joining us on the John Riley project. And we'll be back at you soon. Just check my Facebook page, John Riley project or my, um, uh, my website, John for more information and take care. We'll see you later friends. If you enjoyed today's show, do me a favor, subscribe and then share it with a friend or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let's continue the conversation on social media. Go to connectwithjohnny.com to get links to our social media content, audio podcast platforms, and to sign up for our mailing list. To be a guest, read my blog or get more information please visit johnreillyproject.com to get started.